This is Rocky Snyder. At the tone, leave your name and message and I'll get back to you. Occupation? Surfer. Not a job, surfer. Not really. <clears throat> On today's episode, I get to sit down with a special guest, my friend and surf companion, Guy Kawasaki. In the early days, Guy worked for Apple Computers. In fact, he was the evangelist when Macintosh was coming out around 1984. He had gone away from Apple and came back a couple of different times. These days, though, he's a venture capitalist as well as being an amazing keynote speaker. But I know him as just your neighborhood surfer. Well, welcome to this episode of the Rockfit Files, and with me is the what? The what? Yeah, the Rockfit Files. You remember that show with James Garner? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I liked that show growing up. He he drove a great car, and he always solved the mystery, and and he was a badass. So that's that's what I've been that's a, very clever. Inspired to yeah, the Rockfit Files. And in, in fact, true. if you ever watch the intro to the show, it's very reminiscent of what that the old 70s show used to be like. So, Guy, welcome to the show. I got Guy Kawasaki on with me. And, uh, well, I, I think probably the last couple of years we've, we've gotten to know each other uh, more through our sons than anywhere else, through, the, through any other channels. Those kids can – what is it about kids and their ability to learn faster than us? Did you ever notice that? Well, it's because they're a blank slate, and we're full of bad sectors, to use a Macintosh or to use a tech term. You know what a bad sector is? No. Yeah, what's that? You know, there's like bad parts of a hard disk or bad parts of a floppy disk, you know? So there's like, you know, our bodies and minds are full of bad sectors, and they're just pure, unaffected you know, memories. <laughs> ah, see, and I thought it's because they didn't have a job and they were just able to surf anytime they wanted to. And well, we had kind of responsibility. Yeah. Well, uh, well, welcome to the show. The, the Rock Fit Files, yeah, that's what it's called. And, and so we don't necessarily talk about fitness. In fact, today, what I'd love to do is talk with you oh, a bunch of, about a whole bunch of things, uh, desire, drive, passion. For, for those that are watching that are so consumed with the fitness world that you haven't stepped outside and say maybe the tech field, you may not be familiar with Guy. Now, Guy, you basically, well, I won't say you cut your teeth. I'm sure you cut your teeth long before Apple computers, but you were with Apple, Steve Jobs, and Wozniak in the, uh, the mid, early to mid-80s, weren't you? Yes, I started at Apple in 1983. It was around September, and Macintosh was announced in January of '84. So I got there about three or four months before it was made public. And and you were one of the key figures in in, in marketing and, and getting it to grow. And yeah, well, I'll say to where it is now. My my job was to work with software companies and hardware companies to convince them to create Macintosh products. So I was what was called a software evangelist. Uh, evangelism comes from a Greek word meaning bringing the good news. So I brought the good news of Macintosh, how it would make people more creative and productive. But did, did you come up with that term yourself, the evangelist? Nope. Is that, 
No, well, somebody well, else there was, Well, there was Jesus before us, but <laughs> it was a 2,000 year gap. Oh. Uh, now, someone in the Macintosh division came up with it named Mike Murray. And the thinking was that, you know, Macintosh was a, a, a new kind of computer that increased people's creativity and productivity. It wasn't just a computer. It wasn't just a collection of silicon and rubber and metal and glass and, you know, plastic. It was a whole new approach. So we were evangelistic about Macintosh because we thought it would improve people's lives. And then, okay, before we go into that, because I do want to hear a little bit of that story, but I also want to, I want to get beyond that. I want to get to more like the ethereal plane or, or talk about like yeah. you know, what, what drives you and your desires and your passions and so on. But what was your first job and what's been your worst job? First and worst. Uh, my first, you mean first job ever in life? Yeah. First job ever. And what did you make an hour? I'll tell you mine if you tell me oh, yours. Man. I probably my first serious job was I was a truck driver's helper to a construction firm in Hawaii. And so we would load up the trucks with, you know, lumber and tile and nails and paint and whatever. And we'd load it up in the truck. And then these these houses were all prefabbed. So we would drive it to a job site and unload it. And that's what I do, did several summers. And, and what did you make an hour? What was your starting wage? Well, I don't know. Four bucks? I don't know. Something like that. I... Oh, you were killing it. Okay. My first job was a dishwasher. <laughs> I was 13. I was a dishwasher. I made $2.90 an hour. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Just, okay. What was the worst job you've ever had? I never had any really bad jobs. I mean, really? Uh, well, I think, you know, a lot of it is, well, just good fortune on my part, but I think a lot of it is a matter of perspective, right? And um, have you ever watched the show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? I love it. Good guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you look at that and these people are like cleaning out the cesspools and getting the dead cats out of attics and, you know, <laughs> artificial insemination on pigs and, you know, like doing all that kind of, picking up the garbage in Chinatown. And so, you know, he shows a cross section of the dirty jobs. But if you if you listen to the people, watch them, and you know, maybe it's just edited this way, but those people get satisfaction out of doing that. And, you know, they are, quote, unquote, essential. Um, so I can't tell you that I had a job that I dreaded because I didn't. Yeah. No, I just, uh, the, the one, it didn't last very long. It was during a winter break from school. I, I was asked to work. As in, you know, well, I got to work in a, a bookstore, which you would think that would be fantastic. Right. I was, I was yeah. an English major. I love books and yeah. everything. Yeah. It was the most boring thing I could ever imagine, especially someone, you know, if you're active to actually work in a bookstore, all you do is just walk around the aisles all day and just face and dust. And I lasted about, I lasted one day and that was it. I just, uh, I couldn't. Seriously? I would rather, oh, seriously, I couldn't. I mean, I figured, I, I was raised with a, yeah, because when you punch in, to when you punch out, you better be working. That's kind of how I was raised, the New England work ethic kind of thing. And to just stand around and wait for customers to come in and, and not have anything to do, it killed me. So I always got to keep moving. It, 
no weren't all these cute girls coming in and you know oh. asking you so you know where, where do i get everything you wanted to hey. know about sex but i was afraid to ask and this wasn't Hawaii, my friend. You know, <laughs> this is like outside of Boston in a really funky part of town. You, yeah, yeah, you're not going to get those kind of girls coming in. Oh, in fact, okay. I don't think they were. Yeah, they were all old ladies, somewhere around 75 and older, and I think they were just looking for the knitting circle. It was, it was awful. Okay, so here's here's something I do like to do. I like to do a little rapid fire kind of get to know the person I'm talking with. And normally it's kind of like fitness, but for you and me being surf brethren here, I'm going to give you some rapid fire, only seven questions, but see if you can do it fairly quick. You can make it more than one sentence if you need to, but we're going to find out about you and your surf, your surf life. So are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. All right. Goofy foot or regular foot? Regular. Okay. What's your go-to favorite surfboard? Uh, depends who's listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a Pearson Arrow. It's a Pearson, Pearson Arrow. And what size? Oh, God, I have... <sighs> More than nine I, feet, I imagine. Is it yeah. under 10 feet? Under 10, somewhere between nine and 10. Okay, so if you want to know my total Pearson Arrow quiver... Oh, gosh. I, right. have, uh, I, have a, I have a 9-11. I have a 10-2. I have a 10-2 nose rider. I have an 11-2 glider. So um, so you're ready for tandem surfing, obviously. Okay, what's your favorite yeah, yeah. surf spot? Oh, probably 38th. 38th right here in town. All right. Yeah. What spot or wave saw the best ride you've ever had? Oh, 38th. I mean, if you, you know. All right. Basically, I know there's a concept of people want to go surfing all over the world and try every break and all that. And, you know, I understand that theory. And, I go, you know, I have gone surfing in Hawaii and India and all those kind of places. But I, I swear that, you know, when all is said and done, Pleasure Point is, you know, Pleasure Point has got first, second, 38 drain pipes, you know, oh, yeah. the hook. And sharks and privates and like, where are you going to go in the world that on any given day is going to beat that every day? I mean, you know. It, so. Yeah, from from your word to 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 my ears, I I completely agree. In fact, one of the questions was going to be this perfect surf trip, but I have a feeling you're just going to go stay vacate a uh, staycation. We're just going to stay in the point and surf all day, well, which is, is kind of what you do. Is, <laughs> well, there is. I read about this thing in Costa Rica where. Uh, it's a surf school and they do this heavy um, analysis. Every ride is videotaped and everything is critiqued. And I would love to do that. Well, like once in my, you know, it's probably 10 mm. grand for three days, right? But I would love to do that once in my life. Um, yeah. But, you know, I feel like whenever I see you surf, it's a lesson. So, yeah. Yeah. What not to do? Okay. How about this? Uh, surf etiquette pet peeve. What's what's your pet peeve when it comes to surfing? What do you see out there that drives you nuts? Okay, so first of all, you know, let me admit that I have dropped in on many a person. Okay. <laughs> well, that's how we yeah. met. Well, yeah, okay. Is it really? <laughs> I don't even know. No, no, no. We didn't. But so that's I, all right. So just you know, let me fall on my sword. I have dropped in on many a person. I have also sat inside like a dumbass when people are, you know, coming across. Uh, so with those two caveats, 
I tell you, really, my pet peeve is at 38, there are some people who are very good surfers, but they are such grouches. And they, they, they catch the wave, you know, right in front of jacks. And they're in the face from jacks to drain pipes. And, and it's because they're good enough to do that, right? But they think that that whole face is all theirs just because they can do it. And I think you know, if, if you go to 38, you're kind of signing up to the fact that you are you know, somewhere between a kook and an intermediate, right? <laughs> and so that describes 98% of the people there. And so if you're in the 99th and 100th percentile and you go to 38 and you take the whole face and you get all morally indignant and scream at people and all that, like my logic is if you're freaking that good, go to first and second. Like, you know, why are you here? Like, exactly. If you're really good at surfing at 38, it's part of, you know, trying to have the friendliest break in the world. And we know we're all kooks. And so, you know, guess what? Whose fault is that? So that's my pet peeve. <laughs> like, how it. can you be, if you're, you know, I look at some of these people, I, and you probably know the same people I do. I yeah, look we don't at have to name names, surf. but we know them. Yeah. Yeah. So I look at these people and they're like, such good surfers. Frick, if I was a good surfer, man, I would be just ecstatic. I would be helping other people. I would be, you know, you really got me started here. So, <laughs> you, know what, you know, when you merge on a freeway, okay? So yeah. let's say you're on the freeway and you're coming up on this on ramp, right? And so there are, I think, three kinds of drivers. One driver says, I'm going at the same speed. The person can merge in, okay? Another one is, I'm a good guy. I'm going to slow down, make it really safe, really easy. And the third is the asshole who says, I'm going to speed up and ice this putts out, okay? <laughs> there are some people like that at 38. They are going all the way across the face. They are good enough to avoid you, but they're looking for the opportunity to honk their horn. <laughs> I cannot stand that. <laughs> tell me I, that's not true tell no, me that's, that's not true. so true it is so true and 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 that happens at a lot of the beginner spots in town just people right. think that uh, i you know i i can do this so i own the spot well and I think because that re those are the type of surfers that don't want to go out to the more advanced spots because they're not right. going to get as many waves and they're going to have right. to deal with the guys that are just as good or if not better. So uh, why not be the schoolyard bully where you can take everybody exactly. around? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah, last, last kind of rapid fire that's turned into a, a long volley, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the worst wipeout? Tell, tell me about that. Okay. So, um, this, this is also a long story. So when I first started surfing, I started with paddleboarding. And don't ask me why. It's a long, sad story. So I started paddleboarding. And I, uh, I became friends with Jeff Clark. Sure. And so, so Jeff Clark shaped me a paddleboard. And so the first time I went out with it, I went out with Jeff Clark. Okay. And so, like, I've been... At this point, you know, when you see me out there now, I've been surfing six years and you see how clueless I am now. So imagine six years ago when I knew absolutely nothing. Okay. 
So, and now Jeff Clark, for the listening audience, Jeff Clark is is the surfer who discovered, we'll say, who is credited with discovering Mavericks up in Half Moon right. Bay, just south of San Francisco, north of here. And it's a monster wave that can be measured anywhere between 50 to 80 feet on a really good day. So this is the guy that took you out for the first time. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Yes, okay. yeah. So I, you know, I, of course, try to catch a wave, no clue what to do. And I totally lose it. I'm just like, you know, tumbling around under the water. And I'm thinking, Jeff Clark is not going to let me drown. I have confidence in him. <laughs> and so finally, finally, you know, I stop diving deeper and <laughs> I get reoriented to which way is up. And Jeff Clark says to me, you know, guy, I saw you fall and your legs were in the air and you were kicking and going deeper. And I thought, you know, he'll figure it out. And that, so that was my... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's great. I love those stories. Thank you. All right. So, so just looking over your life, you've done so many things and you, you credit just being in the right place at the right time. But you know, as well as I do that, there's a big part of who you are as a person that allows you the opportunities that present themselves in your life. It's, it's not like you turn your back on opportunity. You, you allow opportunity to present itself to you and whether or not you choose to follow a path or not that's that's completely up to you so you you veered away from apple and uh i i know you veered away at just in, in some ways maybe just the wrong time so uh and i think you 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 left apple just before the ipod is that right yeah i i actually left apple twice um I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a double dumbass. So I, I, left, I left Apple uh, in 1987 and 1997. And then, believe it or not, Steve Jobs offered me another job and I turned him down. And so uh, let's just say that if I had stayed either time or taken that third job offer, um, I would be living on the cliff at Opal Cliffs <laughs> and I would the have, beach. yeah and I would have I, I would have a board concierge <laughs> so when I when I go out surfing this person would be on the shore with all my boards and I would just give him a signal and he'd paddle out the next board for me <laughs> if I want to change boards. That's that's how it would be. Instead, uh. instead, I'm at 38th and <laughs> having to walk. Well, <laughs> having to walk. Oh, it sounds so painful just hearing that. Yes. Oh. This is a 1% so, problem. <laughs> well, now you're doing different things today, obviously. I, you know what else? Yeah. You know what else? If if I had not quit Apple twice or turned Steve down, I would have a personal fitness trainer one-on-one. <laughs> -on -one. Not one of these classes with six other old fogies. It would just be me and the instructor. Well, I think that's a, that just got me in the side. Is that, is that why we're not training? Okay. Well, we can work on that. I might have some, some space in my spot, uh, my calendar. Oh, that's hilarious. Now, uh, other similarities, uh, we've written a few books, you and I. I've, of course, stuck with fitness and uh, adventure sports for the most part, surfing, skiing, paddling, and so on. But you've been writing about the 
the well, there was the the art of the start. So starting up the art of social media, the the book that I've really enjoyed, and it's by my bedside. Uh, not that I've read it, I just enjoy looking at it. Called Enchantment. <laughs> I don't care. I got the royalty. <laughs> Enchantment. Well, the library is going to want to pack sometime, so I still have to pay for it. Uh, <laughs> you reality before you put it back. <laughs> We got reality checks, selling the dream, but your newest one was Wise Guy. Uh, yeah. What, do, obviously, do, is this something you enjoy? Do you like writing? Do you like creating? What's what drives you? What wakes? What gets you up in the morning and keeps you going? What is your drive? I have two more tuitions to pay for. <laughs> you, know, you know how when you when you ask authors or you ask artists, you know what drives you and the artist or the author or the singer or whatever says, well, it's my art and I, I want to bring joy to people and I want to make the world a better place. And then you ask me and I tell you, I got two freaking tuitions to pay, man. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, I got two tuitions and a mortgage. So, and that's probably the honest answer. I mean, um, yeah, fear, fear is a great driving force. That's right. And economic insecurity. Tom Clancy, this is a great Tom Clancy story. So at a press conference for his latest book, or, you know, at the time, because he's dead now, uh, some reporter asked Tom Clancy, what's your latest book about? And Tom Clancy's answer was, it's about 25 bucks. <laughs> so if you ask an author what makes you motivated, the honest answer is an advance. <laughs> That's always helpful for sure. So, but what got you? Well, we can talk surf, but I, I just using it as kind of a, a symbol, if anything else. But, you know, we've got this drive and desire and passion for going out there in the ocean. And, and you can think of how symbolic that is, is, is connecting with something greater than yourself, something that was created potentially hundreds of thousands of years ago. And that energy travels to the point where you have this nexus where you're connected with it. I mean, we can get completely off the realm there, but, but that's how our life is. What do you mean? Okay. Is that what you feel going surfing? Oh, what do I feel? I feel, yeah, I feel a connection, which is fantastic. I feel that I leave all of my stuff on the seashore, I, I leave it on the oh, yeah. beach. In fact, I made a promise with myself when I'm surfing, you won't see me getting cranky out there. I don't think you've ever seen me in a bad mood. And if you well, do, you're not gonna see me for very long because I'm taking the next wave in because surfing's not working for what I needed to do for me. I've never seen you miss a wave or pearl either, but you know, that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, I don't you see, you, you, you have reached a higher level of consciousness in surfing. so. For me, I, I took up surfing at 60, I'm 66 now. So I'm basically a Grom in an AARP body. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, you, you may go out there, you may be communing with the with God and the ocean and Neptune and freaking seaweed and water molecules and I don't know, you know, whatever the hell you're communing with. I, for me, surfing is an unnatural act. So I have to constantly be thinking about, am I sitting in the right place? Am I turning at the right time? Am I pointed the right way? Am I too far forward on the board? Am I too far back on the board? What are you going to do when you pop up? After oh you pop up, 
you know, I mean, there's like a lot of thinking involved. And so it's not a natural act for me. Wow. Yeah, but I, yeah, see, you see, it's a miracle I catch anything. Now, by <laughs> contrast, by contrast, I have given literally thousands of keynote speeches, right? Yeah. So, so for keynote speech for me, I could stand, I, keynote speaking for me is like surfing for you. I don't need any prep, anything. I can just go out there and boom, I can go speak in front of 50,000 people just like that. Hey, you tell most people that, and you know, that's like telling them to go, why don't you take up surfing? There's a big swell coming into Mavericks. That's where you should learn. So, <laughs> so it's, I, surfing is not an unconscious, habitual kind of natural act for me. It requires a lot of thought. Which ironically, you would think, oh, guy, you know, you're so you're so burdened by all this. But ironically, that's one of the, the reasons why I like it is because it's so absorbing. I cannot think about anything else. I can't think about, you know, tuition. <laughs> <laughs> I can only think about, am I sitting in the right place? Am I pointed in the right direction? You know, am I paddling correctly? Am I going to pearl? Um, so if you're thinking about all that, you don't think about anything else. So we both don't think about anything else. It's just you are thinking of something else when you're not thinking about anything else. <laughs> no, you know, I never put it together before, but I've got several friends like yourself that are super yeah. analytical when yeah. they're out there on the water. I, I, I never kind of put that together now, but that's how they are. And and there's a there's a hunt in a way. There's a there's a puzzle to be solved constantly. That you're continually yeah. working the tumblers and waiting for something to unlock. That's that's yeah. pretty fantastic, though. Okay, so with your keynote speaking, seeing you brought it up, fifty thousand people. You know, I myself, I thoroughly find a drug in public speaking. Mm -hmm. You know, doing yeah. radio for almost twenty years now, and then getting on and talking in front of people. And and I can't say that it's ever been something that's been unnatural to me. Do you find the same or did you have to overcome some kind of public speaking fear oh, and take some courses no. and go to Anthony Robbins or anything? No. Um, no, of course I had to. I mean, any anybody who tells you that, you know, they just get up for the very first time or a great speaker, they're either a pathological liar or delusional. Um, <laughs> I, had, I had both. I had great fears of public speaking. And what what made it even worse was that, this is in the Macintosh division, so early in my career. This is the mid-80s, right? So I had a dread of public speaking. And I worked in the company where Steve Jobs was, who's just the best, right? So I had this amazing, like, hero example of what a good speaker is. And so, you know, that would be like... Um, you're like, you know, you surf at the same break with Kelly Slater. I mean, you know, it could be positive or negative, right? And so uh, it was very intimidating to, to start public speaking because you always thought, oh, you know, like, I'm just a piece of crap compared to Steve Jobs. So when did it get comfortable for you? When did, because usually there's this invisible threshold that I often yeah. find that I've, I've walked past and I don't recognize it in the moment. But when I look back yeah. in my life, I go, oh, that's the time. So when was I, I that? Can't, I can't pinpoint a moment. Uh, it was years into it, though. Um, it, it's I, I can't. I I have no mm. idea. But it was not 
let's say I started speaking publicly in 1987. Yeah, it wasn't 1988, I guarantee you. <laughs> Maybe 1995 or something. And do you like looking at, I mean, you must practice to some degree, or at least in the early ages of, of your yeah. public speaking, you would have some coaches or at least read up no, on how to present. Uh, Was it all organic? So I've, I've written many pieces and I've uh, talked many times about how to be a great keynote speaker. And I will, for the first time here, I will tell you that um, I tell people that practice is key but I don't practice anymore. Uh, I, 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 after you've spoken several thousand times, you know, that's kind of each session is practice, right? And um, I give about four or five different speeches. And from, if somebody, if, if I had to customize a speech for someone, I can do it in 10 or 15 minutes. I, I often do it, you know, as they're, as the previous speaker is finishing up or something, I mean, or I do it the night before, or I do it on the airplane to the speech, but that's the level of zenness and oneness I've achieved with speaking. God, I wish I could achieve that level with surfing. Um, but yes. Well, and, just about 20,000 more waves and you'll be there. Yeah, well, but if you, if you did the math, I don't have enough time to do 20,000 more waves. So that's why I have to surf twice a day and I have to use an 11 foot board and get all the reps in that I can. Now that makes much more sense. I thought you were just looking for a tandem partner that hadn't shown up yet. Okay. My screen is bigger than your board, Rocky. <laughs> so what in, in terms of, of speaking and what what's the primary message? I know there's so many categories, so much subject matter you could yeah. go for, but if if there is a default, what do you what do you find yourself falling back on that people just just eat up and they love to hear? What what well, is your subject? That, the speech that I've given the most is uh, about innovation, how to be innovative. Uh, lessons that I learned at Apple, lessons that I learned from Steve Jobs, lessons that I learned as an entrepreneur also. And now I'm involved with a company called Canva which is a very innovative company. And I love it. I use it every day. Not, yeah, thank you. Not because yeah. of me. I mean, they have great co-founders. So, yeah, I'm I'm probably most closely tied to innovation. Wow. Very cool. Now, let's bring in the current affairs here, not the political world because we don't have to go there, although we could rant and rave, I'm sure, because I I, I, mean, I I do see your <laughs> I see your rants all the time. But what about the the, the lifestyle that we're leading right now, of course, you're seeing innovations because the demand is is creating it, living in sheltered in place and so on. But yeah. where do you know, where, where could you expect us to see innovations in the world as it is right now? Well, first, let, let's express that the pain and suffering and death of this situation is tragic. And I think in America, largely inexcusable, right? It should not be this way. We, yes. we just had to, you know, have some leadership and do whatever it took. But anyway, so that we don't want to go down that rat hole. But I think that uh, with hindsight, we'll say that this pandemic caused major changes that forever change people's lives, attitudes, businesses, et cetera, et cetera. 
And by this, I mean that uh, the digitization of many things, the virtual appearances, the new methods of education, um, medical research, there's, there's going to be so much that comes of this because of necessity. And now, this is not to say that, oh, yeah, I'm not saying the pandemic is a good thing because it's not. But this is going to cause some major, major changes, especially in education. If you, if you look at education, so Harvard and Stanford, 60 grand a year, you understand you know, why that's worth it. But after you get past the Ivy Leagues and a few hundred top tier schools, you go to second level schools that's also charging 60 grand. Wow. Um, For online learning, yes. Yeah, I mean, 60 grand to be in a Zoom class. <laughs> that not Harvard or Stanford or Ivy League. I mean, that's a stretch. So I, I think that education is going through a major, major change. And, uh, you know, this, it's been a cash cow and that cash cow is going to get slaughtered for many, many people. It's just a Google, uh, last week, Google announced something like a six month program for very specific skills which they will teach for free and they will consider it the equivalent of a college education for that specialty. Really? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is amazing. So I, I don't know, I, I'm making this up, but let's say that it's a six month course in data analytics. So you take this six month course from data analytics and Google says, we'll hire you for a data analytics job. You don't need a BS in computer science. Well, holy crap. I mean, that's a game changer. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah, that will turn things around quite a bit. I mean, in, in regards, if we've got more corporations like that, that are just saying, we will teach you everything you need to know in a specific category, and then we'll come around and hire you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I see also, well... I was just talking with somebody the other day about how when we get into uh, famine, plague and pestilence, war, all these times in human history, this is when we see the greatest innovations, you know, and not necessarily in weaponry only, but in yeah. medical advances, in, in technology, uh, technological advances, in food advances, in, in everything you could imagine, chemistry, physics, and the like. So, yeah, I... I am kind of uh, anxious in a way or curious to see what's going to come about all of this. Of course, education, we've been, we've been homeschooling our son now going, he's eighth grade, nine years now. <clears throat> but now we're starting to see how many other families are forced to do this remote learning or, or distance learning, however you want to call it. And there's a lot of catching up, but there's so many things that are popping up there now. Because of the need. <clears throat> Jackson, the eighth grade. Yeah. Maddie's graduating this year and this her senior year at high school in Santa Cruz. And it's distance learning there as well. But yeah. she has four or five years of homeschool experience under her belt. So this is no big deal. She goes to the surf shop and works for the day and then comes home or vice versa, does her classes in the morning and then works. And, and we sneak out there and see you on the waves. But they, they're, a, they're ahead of the curve in that regard. They're They've got it kind yeah. of dialed in I, as to know what to expect. Well, I, I think you see a lot of articles about how the distance learning is 
not as good, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, that's understandable, but I think it's way too early to judge. <clears throat> it really you know, comes down to the ability of the parents and, and if they are able to cooperate and collaborate. So it's, well, yeah. it's going to be hard for a lot of children who don't have the support at home. And so I, I know we're going to see a lot of fallout from that, but there's well, going to be a lot of parents that are inspired to reunite with their kids in this way. So that in that regard, that could be yeah. very amazing. I mean, we, we have spent more time with our kids now than we ever will, <clears throat> you know, by yeah, a fact. Yeah. And you've got some great kids. You do. <laughs> you got some, you really do. You got some great kids. And it's it's a joy to see other families just kind of becoming even more cohesive in this time of of uncertainty. Really, uh, it's it's well, it's I encouraging mean, and re reinforcing. You know, it's a it's an old saying, and it's and it can be interpreted as callousness, but there there is some wisdom to you know if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Um, yeah, Nietzsche kind of had every now and then he'd have something good to say. Yeah, but this is literally true, right? You could, <laughs> yeah, uh, we're not talking just about you know paddling across the Monterey Bay with Frosty. Um, no, this literally can kill you. So, oh man, well this has been fun. I've really enjoyed our time. Um, thanks, thanks for putting some time aside uh, outside of catching waves and of course you know the next that set that time, comes man. through <laughs> it was exactly and so <laughs> now that the tide's going to be pulling back in the next hour or so we've, we've got to kind of get off the air and and go paddle out but <laughs> yeah, I, I really appreciate it <laughs> it's exactly right i mean we only do this so that we can surf right i'm just i think i might get in a new occupation though surf concierge has a nice ring to it yeah, um, yeah. And, I, and you know, I, I got to tell you, it, you, if you really want to, instead of Costa Rica, if you want to try out Kelly's Surf Ranch in outside of Fresno, Lemoore, you know, Jack I and I have... went there the week before COVID came into oh, effect. And they do that. They will videotape you in between your sessions. You could go over at the surf coach and find out what you're doing right and wrong. And, and therefore, I'm saying this because if you decide to drop dollar on that trip, I would gladly be your concierge or or a Sherpa, whatever you want. Even photographer, I'll sit on the back of the wave runner. How much does that cost? Oh, well, like I, another, yeah, there was another keynote speaker who was a former client of mine who was one of the co-founders of Netflix there. He was kind enough to invite me as a guest. And so uh, I I think it's honestly, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of five or 6,000 or more per person for the day. It's it's a ridiculous amount that I was not able to put aside. I think actually now it's eight, but but I was I was humbly accepting a very generous offer of being his guest yeah. there, and it was amazing. And I was able to take Jack with us, so he'll have a lifetime experience that uh, will will be hard to over uh, to do better than in any time to come. But so but like I say, you know, yeah, if you want to go. It's a fantastic place. Great food, also. Yeah, I, I know Nate would love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if and when I cash out a candle, maybe we'll do that. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, guy, thanks so much. This has been a blast, you. and uh, you know, if if the schedule allows it, somewhere and down the road, maybe in between winter swells, we'll get together again and do this. Well, it's not going to be in the winter swell because. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do anything over three for four feet, so. <laughs>
<laughs> well, we're going to work on that then. Yeah, yeah. You do that. Uh, I, uh, come to my paddle out, okay? <laughs> I'm sure to say a few good words. Uh, All right. uh, you better. I'll come back and mock you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you. Mm.